please welcome Danny Meyer, and we will be doing a baby dedication. Yeah. Good morning. How are you all doing? Well, we get to do something that is, is one of the more enjoyable uh, things that we do as we gather together as a, a church family is we're going to have a baby dedication. So uh, I have a partial list, at least of those who I knew were going to be dedicated this morning. But if you aren't listed and you want to dedicate your child, your infant, your teenager, just bring them on up. Uh, those that I have listed uh, for this service are Landon St. John and Liam St. John. Uh, parents and can bring him up. And Eric Hernandez and Mateo Hernandez, once you bring them up. If we have others who are here to be baptized who didn't get, get the, make the cut for getting my list done, once you bring them up, I know we have a few others. Good. Well, you know, let me just say something about baby dedication. You know, when we're dedicating our children, it, in one sense, there's a spiritual reality in that we're saying, Jesus, won't you come and, and uh, begin that work by your spirit in our children, begin that work of drawing them to you and revealing yourself to them. But in a very real sense, uh, the dedication of our children is as much for parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles as it is for the children. Ch dedicating our children, what we're doing is we're saying it's our intention as the, the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, the extended family, it's our intention to bring these children up in a way where they can see Christ, where they can see him both uh, in the, the lives that are being lived by the, the family around them, that they can see Christ in a, in a very tangible way through the, the community, the church functioning together, where parents, relatives, friends are saying, we want to do all we can do to point these these children to Jesus. So I want to ask those who have brought these children up, is it your intention to bring up the children in a way where they can have a clear reflection of Christ in the home, where you'll bring them into a, a context that will nurture their faith as they grow up? If that's your intention, you can just nod. I see that nod. Well, what we want to do is we're going to just take a couple of minutes here. I invite anyone who'd like to come up, family, friends, to come up and just uh, surround the children. Just put your hands on them if they tolerate that. And let's just ask God's blessing. And as far as the rest of the church family, I encourage you uh, to, to pray even from your seats. If you feel like you want to just reach your hands out, feel free to do that. But let's give these children to the Lord and give ourselves to the Lord to, to point them to Christ. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, fill these children, fill their parents, their grandparents, aunts and uncles and friends.
Father, right now we just give these children to you. Lord, we ask that you would come fill their lives with your presence. Allow them to have hearts that are uh, soft before you. I ask that you would fill parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, just with wisdom and able, to be able to point the children to you, that they would be a community that would surround these children, allowing them to have just a, a soil where the seeds of your spirit and your gospel could be planted and, and grow and be nurtured. We bless these children. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Bless you. This is a good thing. And not one crier. This is a glorious day. Well, we've been, we, if those of you who've been attending here regularly, we have just finished a series, uh, primarily in Genesis, where we've been looking at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We finished that, that series last weekend. And in a couple of weeks here, we're going to start a new series I'm very excited about in the New Testament. We'll be doing a series through the book of Colossians, looking at St. Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. There's a so much to be gleaned through Colossians if you want to be reading ahead and just allowing that, that book to begin to be written on your hearts. I'd encourage you to do that. So I'm looking forward for that series to begin. But we found ourselves sort of between series, which is, is fortunate because from time to time, God, uh, beyond what he wants to say through these series that we do, from time to time, God begins to write on my heart and the heart of other pastors things that I believe he wants to, to call us to, to challenge us with, to, to encourage us with. And, and today is one of those days where for the last number of months, God has been speaking to me. It's a rather simple uh, message that he's been speaking to my heart. He's been opening my eyes to, uh, to certain realities that I've, I've always seen. But he, I, it was as if the Lord was saying, I, I want you to take notice of of, of this reality, and, and the reality is this, that, you know, I've been, I've been a, a follower of Jesus for, for over four decades, and over that time, you know, there are individuals who I've, who I've seen, friends and family members and acquaintances, folks in the churches that I've pastored, who, who, who have come to Christ, and it's been exciting because you can just see how the Spirit of God takes hold of their heart, and they thrive, and they grow, and their faith is contagious, and it just, it's just really a wonderful thing to see. There are friends and individuals that I know who have run that race with Christ and have been faithful in running that race, some who have gone to be with the Lord, who have finished that, that journey with Christ, and finished it extremely well and at the same time and I'm sure this is true for you as well at the same time over the years there are individuals who have have begun this walk with Jesus have begun to follow Christ but have sort of had their their spiritual life their faith fizzle who have become distracted, who have, who have just gone off, uh, off the road one, one side or the other. And it, it's terribly disconcerting because for some of them, 
for some of them, you know, they have had such significant influence in my life. You know, they've had influence as I've seen their initial zeal, only to see that that zeal just sort of, that filled them up at one point, just pours out the bottom. And some of them, at least from an outward perspective, I don't know, only Jesus knows the true condition of their heart and their faith, but from an outward perspective, for some, it seems like there's no faith, there's no connection uh, or desire to follow God at all. There, there are others who have begun their life with Christ, and I remember when I heard that they're, they're beginning to go to church, I, I, you know, I thought to myself, by way of confession, this is not a man of great faith, and you know, I thought to myself, this is never going to last. You know, the, I, you know I, I know that person. This is, you know, this is like a three-day you know, flash in the pan. Only to see their life grow and flourish. And, and, and they've become, just become a, a great model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what is, what is grievous to me is seeing individuals who have just... have walked away, who've fallen away, who've, who've, who are no longer walking with the Lord. And there, there are great implications, and I think this is one of the reasons why I want to speak on, on this topic uh, today. One, because Jesus addressed it. We'll be looking in the scriptures to see how Jesus addresses this, this phenomena very clearly. But it has terrible significance for us because, well, I mean, just look around. Look at the people who are sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. Just, just glance over. You know, don't stare. But just, you know, sort of out of the side. Now, the reality is, a few of those people that your eyes looked at are not going to finish well. Probably a few of the people that you saw, that you looked at, are going to have their faith in Christ to one degree or another just kind of fizzle away where the reality and the impact of their relationship with Christ is, be going, to, is going to become less and less of a factor in their life. And it doesn't need to be that way. And, and realize that someone was looking at you. That there's no guarantee or no there, there shouldn't be this assumption that oh that would never happen to me because those who I've seen over the years and I'm sure you've seen this as well with friends and family in your who've who've been in your lives that those over the years who have walked away who have allowed their their faith to to just fizzle out never started that way they didn't intend that. They would have thought, no, this, this is a, a clear, lifelong decision I'm making to, to surrender my life to Christ. But nonetheless, the reality is, is that we see for some faith, that faith not being sustained. So how does this happen? Why does this, this happen? Is it just a matter of a flip of a coin that you know, some people make it and, and some don't? Is it an issue of fate or luck or, or that Jesus just loves some people more than others and he's, he's holding on to certain people tighter and other people, you know, they're, they're sort of on their own? This is what I want to talk about today. 
And, and I want you to understand, I'm not just sharing observations, and I'm not going to just be sharing my thoughts and whatever insights I might have, but I'm gonna, we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about this reality. And probably in one of the clearest passages of Scripture, in one of the clearest messages that Jesus gave, it addressed this very issue of how people can sustain an ongoing, vital life with him. It's something that Jesus saw, Jesus recognized, and he felt passionately about. And he spoke to this issue in a parable in Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. And it's one of the only parables, to my recollection, it's one of the only parables where Jesus not only shared a parable, but then went on on to explain exactly what this parable meant. He wanted to make sure that they clearly understood this dynamic of, of sustainable, ongoing, vital faith with him, how that takes place and how it can continue. Because it's not just a matter of, of being fortunate. It's not a matter that Jesus holds on to some more than others. It's not a matter of, of just the luck of the draw that some people got it and some people don't. There is an engagement. There is something that we can add to the mix that allows our life with Christ to continue to be vital, to be sustained. In, in a certain sense, my perspective is that there's this and it's the biblical perspective, that there's a divine dance between God and his, his, his creation, between God and human beings. That Jesus has invited us into this dance with him. Now clearly, he's leading. We're not leading, though we like to think so sometimes, and we try at times to lead in this dance with Christ. But he's leading. Not only is he's leading, but we need to be clear right now that he has placed every single one of us on his dance card. That, that it's not as if we, we're standing in, like you know I used to in seventh grade, we're standing in the gym hoping some girl sees us and our eyes can meet and maybe, maybe you know, we could dance together. It's not as if we just have to hope that there can be some kind of connection, some kind of relationship, some, a, a, a coming together, a dance together. But it's Jesus who has known you, who has seen you, who created you, and put you on his dance card, has called you to come close, called you to draw near. In fact, he's come from heaven to earth in order to engage you in this divine relationship, this, this divine dance, as, I'm, as I like to look at it. It's it, that he, he pulls us, he coerces us. He's the one that, that is inviting us to come out on the floor and dance with him. He's the one that chooses the music for that dance. And by that I mean, you know, some of us have had what others would consider charmed lives. Everything is smooth. Everything is nice. Some of us have gone through difficulties. Some people have, have had great uh, uh, positive experiences in their lives. Some people have gone through terrible 
Terrible, difficult times. It's Jesus who calls and decides on the music, the backdrop of our lives. And it's all, and I don't have a chance to elaborate on this, but it's whatever that music, whatever the backdrop of your life is, it's all meant and purposed in order for you to be able to hold on to him and take uh, and to be apprehended in and by this relationship. But what I want us to understand as we look at this parable is that we, and what Jesus wants us to understand more importantly, is that we are not just some passive uh, person who is gathered up with Jesus to walk with him, but that we have an active role in the fruitfulness. We have an active role in the sustainability of this life with Christ. Ultimately, he's in control, but we are active participants. Again, using this analogy of a dance, there are times where by God's grace, and I'm so thankful for it, where we have, we are either have run out of, of spiritual energy or we are just being plain stupid and he just lifts us up and carries us for a while and we are, we're, we're, our feet are standing on his feet and he's, he's carrying us along. But there are other times where we can add to what he is doing in bringing about a, a, uh, a joined walk together. You know, I'm fond of this notion, and it's, it's so very true, that so much of the Christian life is, is a mystery. That we can't understand everything about who God is and the purposes of God and how he works in our lives. That we have to be content with that there's a, there's a certain mystery this side of heaven. But I want us to realize this. When it comes to the sustainability of our faith, when it comes to whether we are going to be one of those who who finishes well or is, is uh, derailed and, and falls off the track, drives off the side of the road, it's not a mystery. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand. It is not a mystery as to why some people continue on with Christ and some people don't. There, are, there may be aspects that are unknown, but the core of it, as we'll see in this parable, the core of a sustainable faith an ongoing, growing relationship with Christ is not some mysterious, uh, uh, not something that is, should be mysterious. So, the influence that we have is the, not that we're, you know, in, in moving along with Jesus, is not that somehow we just need to learn how to hang on as Jesus is either indifferent or, or, or pushing us away. Our role is not somehow trying to get his attention because he's holding on to us. He, we, he, we, he already has, no, we already have his attention. He does see us. He knows us. He's pursued us. Our role, as we'll see, is that we can participate in, in nurturing a heart that desires to stay connected with our partner. We can nurture a, a, a context in our lives that, that helps us to not be distracted, to not walk away. We can do certain things that help us stay close. 
you know, it's interesting. I, I, I remember in high school, I, uh, I dated a number of girls who went to, to this certain Catholic high school. And the, uh, we, occasionally they'd have this, high, this dance at that Catholic high school. And the nuns would continually come up to all the people who were dancing and, and move us away. You know, the, you know, it's almost like they come out with a yardstick, you know. And it, if anything, you know, you're so whole, you know, dancing like this if they had their way. You know, they, they just didn't want you too close together. Well, in this dance with Christ, the Holy Spirit is active. But far from saying, okay, not too close, you know, just keep some space. That's God there, you know, your dance. The Holy Spirit is constantly coming saying, draw near, come on. Draw closer. Know him. Experience what he has for you. The purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit, among other things in our lives, is to point us and to draw us and to, to soften our hearts towards Christ. So the, the passage we're going to look at is a parable in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, uh, an iPhone, uh, open up to Matthew chapter 13. We have Bibles on the stage. We have Bibles on the back shelf by the sound booth. Grab one if you'd like. But let's go ahead and, and jump right in here. Start Matthew 13, verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the, light, uh, by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a, a farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. And immediately after that, you could tell the, the disciples, they were growing weary of all these parables because they didn't understand. Uh, so there's this little dialogue, you know, following this, this passage where, where they say, you know, why do you always have to teach in parables? Just tell us, tell us straight on what you're, trying to, what you're trying to say. But Jesus often taught in parables. And as I said, in this parable, interestingly enough, as we'll see, he goes ahead and says, well, let me explain it. I don't want there to be any confusion about what I'm saying. So we, we have a picture here of Jesus telling a parable. It's oftentimes referred to as the parable of the sower and the seed. But actually there are three key elements in this parable. Not just the sower, who is God. Not just the seed, which is the gospel, the, the, the truth of who Christ is and that he's come to join relationship, enter into relationship with us. There's God the sower there's the gospel of the kingdom of God the seed but then there's this third element which is most important and that is the soil and the soil is that heart that life that receives the gospel that the life that is given to this relationship 
the seed, the, I mean, the soil is us. Now, to understand this, this parable, you need to understand a little bit about Israel and what the terrain is like. Laurie, go ahead and put that picture up. You know, much of Israel are these hills, these mountains. That, so there's not these long uh, areas of flattened land where they used to farm. So they, would, they learned how to farm on the sides of the hills. And you can see it somewhat in this, in this particular picture. But what the farmer would do in the first century, they didn't have modern, modern machinery that could cultivate the soil. So on the sides of the hill, they would build first a path that would you know, cut back and would, it would go up the side of that, that hill, up the side of that mountain. And then they would begin to walk down that path back and forth down the mountain, sowing their seed. So you can understand why did some fall on the path? Because as they tossed it down the, down the hill, some would land between the paths on the, on the, where the soil is. Some would land on the, the paths down below that were hard and rocky. Some would land where there were thorns growing. Some would land on, on soil right on the edge of the path and the, and the dirt where it, was, where it was too rocky. But that's, that's why... And that's what makes sense of this parable. It's that the, the sower was not, in, was not carefully putting one seed here and one seed there. The, 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 the sower wasn't worried about some seed getting in, in, in areas that may not produce great fruit. The sower, first of all, was just indiscriminately tossing seed out. This, this is the reality of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is being broadcast into the lives of everyone. The gospel of the kingdom is being sown into the hearts of everyone. He doesn't say, I think you got it. I'm not sure you'll ever get it. You know, you'll understand. I don't think you'll respond. The, the, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the reality that Christ wants to take control of our lives to bring his good and perfect plans and purposes into our lives. He sows that seed broadly. But how it's responded to, that's, that's where we see the difference. And it says, in, in, look, in verse 18, we'll skip down because there was a little discussion between uh, verse 10 and verse 17 about why Jesus used parables. But he comes back and says, okay, I'll explain this parable because I want you to understand the principles here. Verse 18, Jesus says, listen to what the parable of the sower uh, means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into their heart. This is the seed along the path. So he recognizes, as always, the, the farmer will find some of his seeds fall on the, on the paths and on the cutbacks up and down the sides of those, those hills. And he says that that gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom of God is simply the reign of God, the rule of God, the, the desire that God wants to be in control of our lives. He says, some don't understand it. But... When he says some don't understand it, this is the, the, the Greek word sunumi. And it doesn't mean understand intellectually. It doesn't mean just have some cognitive, rational understanding. 
what this, this, he, this Greek word means is to have an understanding, a comprehension where someone internalizes it. He says, in other words, there are some that hear this gospel message, but they don't internalize it. They, they hear, they understand in one way or another that, that Christ has come or that God is here in order to have control, in order to lead, in order to take and bring his good purposes into our lives. But there are those who say no. There is a, a kingdom rejection, if you will. A, a refusal to receive that. They don't take hold of it. They don't internalize, internalize this message at all. For some, they hear the gospel with words. Many of you, perhaps the reason why you began to follow Christ is someone came alongside. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a parent or a grandparent. It may have been a friend. But someone came along and told you about who Christ was, what he did in order to pay for the, the sins, your sins, that he took upon himself, they told you about how to give your life, to surrender your life to Christ. And, and some of you uh, responded, but he says there are others who hear the message, but they don't internalize it. They say, I, I don't want another to have control of my life. The, the fallacy is they think, therefore I have control of my life. But as the eminent theologian said back in the 1970s, Bob Dylan, that someone is going to have control of your life. He had a, a song that says that you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There are kingdoms at work in this life. We like to think it's God's kingdom or my kingdom, but the reality is, what we read in the scriptures, is there is a, a kingdom of this world. There's a, a demonic kingdom that ushers and brings its influence. And what Jesus says, now there are some people who, whether they hear the message uh, through another person, whether they, they, that message is being written by the Spirit of God on their hearts. I mean, some of you probably never had someone tell you about uh, who uh, about God, but something within you responded to the reality that God was, was calling you into relationship. Is that anyone here? Who, it wasn't for someone's words. It was just the pursuit of the Holy Spirit. A few. For some, it's just like the scriptures say in the book of Romans, it's just looking at his creation and that the creation screams out that there is someone greater than us. Jesus wanted them to understand that for some, there's a kingdom rejection. I don't want you to be in control. I don't want you to take hold of my life. I'm not interested in sharing the throne of my life with anyone. And we reject what God intends. But what I want us to understand as we move on is that the, the core of the gospel is not some intellectual truth. The core of the gospel is not certain theology. The gospel is not about something. The gospel is somebody. The gospel is Jesus. He is the embodiment of this message. 
Jesus is the core of the gospel. It's what are we going to do with Jesus? And there are those who reject that kingdom message. I don't want Jesus to be in control. Jesus goes on in verse 20 and says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone, you know, not on the, on the path, but it's on maybe some of the, the edge of the path, the edge of the soil. Jesus says, The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they, they quickly fall away. Now, certainly over, over my Christian lifetime, I've seen a number of people who've started strong only to walk away, to fall away. And again, I'm not here, I'm not going to, you know, the purpose of this talk isn't to, to delve into the theology of, you know, are they still saved? Were they ever saved? What's their eternal condition? God will sort that out. But what, what, what Jesus wants us to understand is that there are some who do embrace this message. They embrace Christ. They give him that permission to take control, at least uh, limited control of their lives. But at a certain point, it fizzles. It fades away. It only lasts for a limited amount of time. And, and what I believe for these individuals Oftentimes, it's a matter of spiritual or kingdom counterfeits that, that, that uh, challenge their walk with Jesus. Rather than surrendering their life to the, the king, rather than understanding that the normal Christian life is saying, Jesus, it is you who I have engaged. It's you who I have given control to. What they often do inadvertently is not come to Jesus, but they've heard and responded to the gospel of the church, the gospel of Christian fellowship, the gospel of certain theology, the gospel of some ministry opportunity. It is a very different thing to come to Christ and to know him, and like any relationship, begin to grow in our relationship with him, that's very different than coming to a body of knowledge, certain theology, or coming to the church. There are many people who have allowed the church, and this is maybe an odd thing for a pastor to say, because I like the church. I'm all about church. But the gospel is not the gospel of the church. It's the gospel of Christ. People are engaging Jesus, are being called to Jesus, not called to, oh, there's such great fellowship. Oh, this church has, has, has such wonderful programs. You're lonely? The church is going to be able to provide a context where you don't have to be lonely. Those things may be true, but it's not the church. It's not programs. It's not small groups. It's not theology that we come to. Those are and can be counterfeits. Now, having said that, they are all good, blessed gifts from God. The church is good. The, the, we thank God for his word. We thank God for Christian fellowship. 
Because why? Because they point us to Jesus. The church is a container, an environment, a community that helps us to see Jesus. His word is not just for informational purposes only, but his word helps us to see Jesus and know Jesus. And this book points us to Jesus because it's God-breathed. It's his words. The programs in our church aren't just to keep you busy. You guys are busy enough, I bet. The programs in the church are so that we can nurture this relationship with Jesus. And perhaps the greatest kingdom counterfeit is ministry. We, we don't come and endure Christ and draw near to Christ, but we love our ministry. We love our calling. We love that I get to be used. I get to be in control of something. I get to do something. I get to help someone. All of which are wonderful and good, but the gospel is Jesus. And ministry Fellowship, programs, small groups, church will not sustain a lifelong walk with God. They will talk what they do do later, but they don't sustain our walk. What sustains our life with Christ is Christ. You get it? What sustains our life with Christ is Christ. These things are byproducts. They're blessings from this dance, this walk with the king. But they can never and should never be a substitute for walking with the king. Let's move on. Verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes... the. Uh, of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. What, what I call this is kingdom clutter. You know, we, we come to Christ, but there's so much clutter in our lives that, that rather than keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the, the lover of our soul, our partner in this dance, the one who leads, the one who calls us, we, our eyes get diverted to all sorts of things. For some, our eyes are diverted about concerns about tomorrow, worries about tomorrow. What might happen here? What might happen there? What if this happens? What if that happens? It's not as if those aren't real issues. But what does Jesus say? Each day has enough worries to care for itself. Seek first the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God in your life, and all these things will be provided for. But some people are worried about tomorrow. Other people are looking back over their shoulder in the rearview mirror at the, the difficulties of their past, of the wounds of their past, of the hurts in their past, all very real. But it, it's become the sole focus of their attention rather than their eyes fixed on Jesus. And just real simply, let me just say this. It's not to say that 
what's in the past is in the past, don't ever deal with it. No, we ought to deal with it. But the difference between very unhealthy introspection about our past and healthy biblical self-examination like we see David do in the Psalms is introspection, unhealthy, unbiblical introspection into the past is sort of the self-guided tour where we just delve into our lives and, and try to make sense of it. Good, godly, biblical self-examination, like when David said, search me, O God, know me, is God walking us into those things that he wants us to see and wants us to, to deal with. But it's, again, it starts and ends with walking with Jesus, being in touch with him. But what Jesus says in this parable, there are those who, who allow their faith and their intimacy with Christ to be choked off because of distractions, because of the past, because of the future. Just because of the busyness of life. Now, I know you guys aren't busy, but I hear there are people in our culture that are busy. They're, they're busy with just trying to make ends meet financially. They're busy with, with you know, all the activities that are being offered to our children. They're, we're busy with taking care of, of elderly parents or newborn children. Life can be busy. And what Jesus is saying is be aware that the busyness of our life can and will naturally cause your eyes to be diverted. And what he's saying is continually bring your eyes to Christ. This is the purpose and the voice of, of God throughout all creation. Wanting us to fix our eyes on him. You've heard me say before, the, the, as far as I can remember, the two times in the scriptures where we, where we hear God the Father's voice slice in from heaven into earth. He said the same thing both times. Essentially what he said is, behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. Look at my son. Listen to him. The Father's voice, the voice of the Spirit in our hearts is always saying, look at Jesus. Lift your eyes up. Keep your eyes focused on him. Verse 23 but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Again, same, same Hebrew, uh, Greek word, sinumi, who integrates it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. We get to provide a good soil. We have the privilege and should take the wise responsibility to the degree that we're able to provide good soil in our hearts, in our lives, in our soul. To provide a context and a, and a softness where as truth takes hold and where as we see Jesus, that there's something in us that responds. There's, there's a participation and an effort that we bring to the table. And for those of you who may be thinking, effort, effort, that's a, that's a bad word. You know, we're, we're not under the law. We're, we're, we're not under works. 
We're not talking about effort in order to gain God's love. That's works. That's legalism. We're talking about effort in just good spiritual disciplines and saying, I want to, to nurture my life with God. You know, I, I, Penny and I have been married for 40-some years now. And, and the first number of years, they were really, really rough. And we had this gal from a small town in Texas marry this, this guy from New York City. You know, it was like oil and water. You know, we had someone who grew up in a really good Christian home marry this guy who was, you know, barely unpaganized. You know, we, we had some, you know, it, there was a lot to work through. And let me tell you, it t- took a lot of work. We, I don't know how many different counselors that we went to in those early years just trying to get help, trying to figure out how do we do this relationship? Because it wasn't fun. It was just hard work. But 40 years later, it's really, really nice. It's really nice. But we still work on it. We still work on it. We still do those things that nurture, that create a context where relationship can flourish. It's not just that we worked on it back there in the, in the 70s, and now we just are reaping the benefits. <laughs> we work on it continually. But we're, we're good at working on it. We resolved and resigned that good marriages involve conversation, discussion, and wisdom, sometimes from the outside. And we, we really enjoy each other thoroughly. But it takes it takes work. It takes creating an environment where intimacy and relationship can grow. And it's the same thing with Christ. That it, it doesn't just happen. It's something that we do as we cultivate a context for intimacy and relational growth. By what? By how do we do that? By being involved in church because the church helps us refocus our eyes and remind us of who we are and who he is by worshiping together by having fellowship by being involved in small groups so that when we're going through a hard time and we're about to fall someone else can lift us up see all those things we talked about early that are are counterfeits to the kingdom do cultivate A context where Christ can come and take hold of us. Does that make sense? That's our part. That's what Peter's talking about when he says, add to your faith. Faithfulness and perseverance, etc. Those are the things that we bring to the table so our life with Christ can grow. Our intimacy with Jesus is just not some intrinsic reality that takes place because it just will always take place. Relationship, whether it's with Jesus or with another, takes a daily decision to say, I want to purposefully fix my eyes on what's important. I want to consistently create an environment, a context that is is conducive for relational growth. 
Let me finish with a story real quick here. Years ago, when I was pastoring in another church, I was talking to this gentleman. He came in to see me. He was in the church for a while. Uh, he was a physician, and, and he said, Danny, I, I just want, uh, wanted to come in and talk to you. Uh, and he said, I, I've fallen in love with another woman, a nurse who I work with, and I, I've fallen out of love with my wife, and I'm, I'm going to be leaving her. I just wanted you to know that. And it just took me by surprise, and I won't go into all the, the, the story or the background, but one of the things I did is I said, so you just fell in love with her? He goes, yeah, I, I wasn't trying to, it just happened. And you, you just fell out of love, you know, just fell out of love. I said, well, let me ask you a few questions. I mean, did you used to, with this nurse, uh, sort of leave notes, write notes to her? Oh, yeah, we'd do that some back and forth. I said, you leave many notes to your wife when you left for work? No. I said, did you, did you uh, call the nurse sometimes when, when she was off or you were off just to see how she was doing? Said, yeah, that happened. I said, you call your wife a lot when you were at work to see how she's doing? No, not, not much. I said, did you, did you go and meet her for dinner? Did you have dates with this nurse, you know, that you'd get together? I said, yeah. So you have a lot of date nights with your wife? No, no, we haven't done that much. I said, let me tell you something. You didn't just fall out of love. And you didn't just fall in love. You nurtured the relationship with the nurse. You neglected the relationship with your wife. And that's the reality of why you're in the situation you're in right now. And without getting off on marriage... We nurture our relationship with Christ. And we see the fruit that results. Or we can neglect our relationship with Christ and see the fruit or the lack of fruit that results. Why don't you stand up? We have a few minutes here. I want to just take some time and uh, I believe there are a, a few things that God would have us do as we respond to this this message and this parable and prayer. First, you know, I believe that for a lot of folks here, quite understandably, that it's very easy. And, and maybe you find yourself where there's just so much distraction, where you sort of lost that, that impassioned vision of Jesus, where you've, you've just grown a little dull. I mean, you're not walking away from the Lord, but that impassioned, intimacy with Christ is, has, has uh, dwindled some. And for some it may be because you're, you're, you're looking at those past wounds and those hurts and, and those things that have been said about you and the abuse that you may have experienced in the past and it's become the, the focus of your, your emotional reality right now and it's distracted you. And for some you may be here today and you're just weary you're weary of life. You're weary of doing good. But I believe what God wants to do, among other things today, is he wants, to, he wants to, by his spirit, renew a focus. To give you an opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to look away from these other things in this moment. And I want to see you once again. I want to be drawn to you once again. I want that vision of your love to capture me once again. And I believe God wants to do that today. So I'm going to invite individuals who just need a renewed vision of Christ to, to come forward. 
I, I believe also there are those here who just need his touch for physical healing and spiritual, emotional healing. And, I, and I, we've seen so much that God has done of late, healings that have been just nothing but miraculous. And, and I want to continue to give God an opportunity. So you, if you're here and you need that either renewed vision of Jesus, if you're so distracted because of life and you need to have him draw your eyes back to him, or if you just need a touch for healing, come forward. Let's make sure that everybody that comes to the front has someone praying for them. Dan, I had a, a sense of, I know this was a side note on Danny's sermon, but when he was talking about our marriage, I felt like there were people here that, in fact, I felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly that there's people here that just knew they've quit investing in, in their marriage. And the Lord wants you to uh, turn back to that today. And, and it was just something that God put on his heart all of a sudden to share, but it was no accident. The Lord was speaking to you to invest again. And I just felt like there were some couples that needed That's ministry good. in that area today. That's good. I want you to come for that. And whether or not whether or not there's a couple that is responding to that or an individual, an individual in a marriage can give themselves to all that Jesus wants you to do and that will bear fruit, whether a partner is interested or present or not. So why don't you come forward for any of these needs and let's go ahead and pray for some folks. God is looking to, to get you to see him and see his love for you, to get the distractions of your life from occupying your heart, your attention. We need a lot of prayer. So if you're, if you're a, an attender here and you know Jesus and you're comfortable to come up and, and just put your hand on their shoulder and just pray quietly. This isn't a counseling time. Just pray that God would come and reveal himself to them. We need more men, more women to come up and pray. Don't make me come and get you. I will. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Need a few more prayers right here.
Father, we bless what you're doing right now. I just pray you do a deep work in our hearts. Lord, for those who are just weary, lift them up like a, like a dad would lift up a little girl and dance with her. Place a young girl on his feet and guide her steps. Lord, lift up your children. Sustain us, Lord, during the weary time. Father, for those who who's, have been so distracted by life, take our face in your hands. Turn our attention to you. We ask for a refreshed, renewed vision of Jesus today. That we would be able to see that great love that you have for us. Father, for those who may be here, just standing in this room, who have never yet given you control over their lives, not even for the first time, Lord, I pray that they just, they say, Uncle, here's my life. Take my life. Do in me and to me and through me whatever you wish. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Bless our relationships, our marriages. Bless our relationship with friends, family, co-workers. Let us be a people who nurture relationships with you and others. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Lord, let us see your power. Let us have eyes to see the greatness of your love. Let us have the wisdom to cultivate, to, to nurture a good soil in our hearts where you can have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.